50K. 50K Myers Leonard has to pay. And that's our word of the day. The NBA fined Myers Leonard $50,000 for using a ethnic slur, an anti-Semitic slur. We've talked about it all week on this show, on Levitard's show. I just want to point out a few things about 50K. Number one, Myers Leonard makes $9.4 million a year. Number two, there are 82 games in an NBA season. Number three, that's $114,000 a game. Number four, that is $57,000 a half. So an anti-Semitic slur is worth about a half of a game. But I'm not upset with Adam Silver for fining him $50,000. Do you know why? That's the maximum he could do. The way fines work in the NBA and MLB and the NFL, they are negotiated with the union, negotiated with the collective bargaining agreement. It says what fines can be. So don't read on the interline internet. I can't believe that Adam Silver fined Draymond Green $50,000 for talking about Devin Booker and then $50,000 for an ethnic slur. Not relevant. That's the maximum. What Adam Silver said in his press release was incredibly offensive, to me at least. I think to you too. Myers Leonard has spoken to and met with the Anti-Defamation League. Thank you. That is a group of people who are happy to educate you and tell you about anti-Semitism around this world, around this country, prejudice, racism. They'll take your calls. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Maybe not on Saturdays, doesn't matter. Myers Leonard spoke to them. I guess he's cured now. Everything's good. He's never going to use that word again. Adam Silver said that he's shown remorse. He's apologized. He's contrite. Thank God. The issue's over, right? We're good. I've gotten so much feedback on this. People say anti-Semitic remarks. The day goes on. People say homophobic remarks. Life goes on. They apologize. They meet with constituencies. It's the important word. Meet with constituencies. Let's not do that, Adam. Let's release a statement where we don't say what everyone else says. We don't stand for hateful speech. Really? If you don't stand for it, then take a stand. If you don't stand for it, then stop sitting. Stop feeding me a line about the apology tour that you send your players on and start telling me how you're going to educate them. Tell me in your release that there is no hierarchy for racial slurs. Tell me in your release that you think this is as bad as using the N-word. Tell me in your release that you are not going to put up with players representing your product being racist, being ignorant, being uneducated. But don't tell me in a statement that you find him 50 grand, you suspended him for a week, and LGO. I guess life does go on. You know what? I, I, need, to, I need to change that, Coca. I'm going to change that from our show today. Nothing personal. I'm going to change it because the fact of the matter is life always goes on. Every day, the sun comes up. 
Every day is a new opportunity for people to change or every day is a new opportunity for people to decide they don't want to change. Every day is a new opportunity to find out the way someone actually is versus the way they pretend to be. Every day is a new day to find out whether or not the way you are privately is the way you are publicly. The line is getting fuzzy, isn't it, folks? Let's be careful out there. I'm not going to talk more about uh, Myers Leonard or about this. I'm going to switch the narrative. And I'm going to spend time over the coming weeks, months, and years on Nothing Personal talking to you about the sea change that I see, about the actual change that's taking place, about the way we all react and reflect on people who are racist, people who are homophobic, misogynists. Let's just end today by saying no hierarchy. If we can do that, we've been successful. It's been a week. It's been a week where... The president spoke to us last night about the possibility of July 4th barbecues. It's been a week where it's been a year since sports shut down. It's been a week where we were once again reminded that ignorance is pervasive in our country. It's been a week where we reminded that tragedy is all around us, but so is joy and so is life. Let's go half full this weekend and come back Monday and start again. Let's start again as we get closer to the baseball season, as we get closer to the March Madness Tournament. Can't wait for that. Let's hope that next week is the beginning. I had a, uh, a Hebrew school teacher. You know, on Levitar, they thought that, that uh, this was personal for me. And it's not just personal for me. It's got to be personal for you, doesn't it? Freddie Gonzalez was a manager we had with the Marlins, and he carried around with him a piece of paper that has a great quote in it. And it's a pretty long quote, which I don't have memorized. But the concept was that they came for red people, and I was silent. They came for brown people, and I was silent. They came for black people, and I was silent. They came for white people, and I was silent. And then they came for me and no one said a word. And he carried that around. And the reason why he carried that around is that he always wanted to remind himself every day the importance, not just as a Cuban, not just as a Floridian, not just as a major league manager, the importance as a person of understanding that we can all be as selfish as we want. But then at the end of the day, that selfishness has a really good chance of coming back to haunt you and bite you because your inability to feel empathy toward others, your inability to understand the plight of others, not walk in their shoes, to understand others, your inability to do that will lead to their inability to understand you, will lead to their absolute misunderstanding of the way you are and the way you think of the things you believe in. I think we don't have to be that way. I like that. I actually have that quote. I carry my own bag that has different quotes in it. And I do have Freddie's quote that he gave to me. After all these years, Freddie, I know you listen to the show. You may be listening to this show right now. After all these years, after unfortunately, I was dumb enough to be a part of firing you. I'm sorry, Freddie, but you certainly have uh, stayed in the game and you are a great ambassador to the game. Just know that the quote you gave me, I carry around to this day. I spent time uh, again yesterday Every day I'm watching Paramount Plus, not because I work for CBS. 
Uh, it doesn't matter to me that I work for CBS, actually. I'm watching services that provide me with good content because I need content. I'm a content craver. Not just because I review a movie every day, because I love learning. I love watching documentaries. Coca doesn't like documentaries, and that bothers me, Coca. You got to start liking documentaries. Did you guys like hearing Coca's voice, by the way, last night on Twitter Spaces? Every Thursday at 8 p.m., we had been on Clubhouse. No more. We're going on Twitter Spaces. They gave Coca a room and nothing personal a room. There were a lot of people around, and we were telling a lot of stories, answering a lot of questions. It was fun. It's interactive. We hear your voices. We take your cues. We give you some A's. Coca is a real person, a real producer, the best of his kind. I would say that he's in the running with Mike Ryan for the best podcast producers out there. I really would, Coca. And I would say that uh, the only non-redeeming qualities, you don't like documentaries, but I'm going to keep reviewing documentaries. There's such great stuff on Paramount Plus. You know, it's live now. When you go to your smart TV or you go on your phone or on your iPad or wherever, whatever device you have, Paramount Plus is there. It used to be CBS All Access. It's got Survivor all the seasons. Hello. It's got Star Trek, which I like watching. It's got great movies. I think I'm going to watch a Godfather movie this weekend because I haven't seen one in so long and they're so good. I don't think I'm going to watch an Indiana Jones movie again, but I will watch Mission Impossible from start to finish again. I've watched Mission Impossible one, I think six times, but you can watch more of it. There's TV. And for me, what I also love is there's live sports. Forget all the other channels it has, which are also cool on Paramount Plus from BET. Black Entertainment Television, Smithsonian, Smithsonian Channel. There's a bunch of them, actually. It's pretty cool. Comedy Central. Have you ever watched Comedy Central? Some funny things going on there. But we are in March. Live sports matter. You've got March Madness. In April, you're going to have the Masters. You get NFL as well. It's just pretty cool. There's always breaking news. CBS Sports HQ. I don't know if you guys remember. I'm an MLB analyst on CBS Sports HQ. Hello, CBS Sports HQ. Baseball season's starting. You're going to get to start seeing this lovely face again on CBS Sports HQ, which is under live TV on the Paramount Plus app. Just download it. Just get it. It's streaming right now. So when NFL starts, there's going to be a team that's going to be playing, and their team right out of uh, Houston. They're called the Houston Texans. They have a quarterback. I don't remember his name. We've talked about him a few times. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. It's Deshaun Watson. There's so much drama going on. We have a segment on the show called So You Want to Talk to Samson. And we've got, like, music that comes with it. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So many new listeners and viewers for nothing personal. You're downloading, you're subscribing, you're telling your friends. One of the segments we try to do every day is so you want to talk to Samson. You get on Twitter at David P. Samson. Hit follow. Twitter at David P. Samson. Get your friends to follow and subscribe. Ask a question. We do an end of month mailbag episode. That's separate. We'll talk about that later. Maybe tomorrow. Not Saturday, maybe Monday. Today is Friday. Today is Friday. Today is Friday. It's just another manic Friday. Wish it were Sunday, because that's my fun day. So you want to talk to Samson. How do you prepare for a season, you asked, in Twitter at David P. Samson during the DMs, which are public wide open, and I try to answer as many as I can, even though I can't get to all of them, because there's so freaking many. 
How do you prepare for a season when you don't know whether your quarterback will show up? Oy, does that suck? David Culley is the coach, the new coach of the Houston Texans, the coach not hired by Deshaun Watson. The coach who inherited a situation where their star quarterback may not even show up. He may simply say, I want to be traded. You haven't traded me. I'm going to sit on my couch. You want to find me? Have at it. You can find him. I had to wait to see, which is when I say something's going to happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But either way, I revisited. I had to wait to see that Sean Watson will be a Texan in 2021. David Culley was asked, what's your contingency plan if Sean Watson doesn't show up? And David Culley looked right in the Zoom camera and said, contingency plan? Contingency plan? I don't got no contingency plan. He said it better. He said, right now, there is no contingency plan. He's a Houston Texan. We're committed to him, as I said before. I would have left out the we are committed to him because it doesn't matter whether you're committed to him. He's under contract. He's one of the top four quarterbacks in the National Football League. They're not going to trade him. We said they're not going to trade him. We said that he's going to be playing day one. He's not going to sit out the regular season. He wants to play. He's going to help the Texans win more games. It's all going to be okay. But what do you do? Do you prepare? for the possibility of your quarterback not showing up? Here's the short answer. It starts with an N and ends with an O. No, you prepare normally. That's like saying in baseball, do you prepare for the fact that your player or your pitcher is going to need Tommy John and he's only going to start 10 games? Do you prepare for the fact that the guy you have in the three hole is going to hit 220 with an on base of 275? Do you prepare for the fact that you have no fans, no winning, and it downright sucks around the ballpark? No. You build a team that has depth to the extent that you can. You build in a playbook in football for the quarterback who is signed, who is your franchise quarterback, and you adjust the weeks that you have to when he's not going to play. You make a list of your starting pitching depth and you hope to God you don't have to use pitchers nine through 13, but every year you do. You build your batting order around the players you have during the offseason who are all healthy. You do never prepare for the worst because there's always time to deal with it when it happens. The reason why David Culley says there are no contingency plan, what are you going to do? Put an entire game plan for your backup quarterback? Is that really the direction you want to take? If you're the owner of the Texans, you have spoken to your coach. There's certain times I wouldn't mislead our managers when they would ask about, hey, are you going to trade Delgado, are you going to trade Cabrera? Are you going to trade Lowell? Are you going to trade Stanton? Are you going to trade Jose? Are you going to trade anybody? Eight out of 10 times, I would tell the manager the truth. The other two times, I'd stay quiet so he knew exactly what I meant. What we would tell our coaching staff is simple. You prepare for the following series against the team we're playing as though the rotation is exactly what we said the rotation is going to be and that you lined up and that we lined up and it's on the board in the manager's office and we know exactly who's starting. If someone calls out of the blue and says, we want to trade for your starter and we're going to overpay, 
You go down to the manager's office. You say, we have traded tomorrow night starter, and here's who's starting tomorrow night. Does that change his batting order? Does that change his game plan? No. And you're saying that football is different. I respect that. I actually do respect that. You're saying football is different because you script out your first 10 plays. You have on your wrist a list of the 100 plays you run in the 250 situations that take place during a football game. And you put those sheets together for the talent and skill of your quarterback and of your defense and of your offense, et cetera. You're right. But that doesn't change the fact that you do not plan for your top quarterback to sit out or to be injured or to be ineffective. It's a waste of time. When you're running a team, you've heard me talk about time on nothing personal. Time matters more than any other commodity. You know how much I respect your time for giving me 45 minutes. You know how much I respect time in general and how angry I am that I can't get more of it. So when I'm sitting down with my coaching staff, it's pretty simple. We've told you whether or not we're trading Deshaun, and we've had you go public saying he's our quarterback. We're prepared to play with him. That means you know half the story. That means you know that we're not going to trade him, but that doesn't mean that he will not decide to sit out. So you evaluate what the likelihood is of him sitting out. You come to the conclusion after listening to nothing personal that the likelihood is de minimis. And you go on with your day. When you ask the so you want to talk to Samson question of how do I prepare for a season when you don't know whether your quarterback will show up, it's a faulty premise. If I am told that the quarterback is not going to show up, then I'm preparing for the season with the quarterback who is there, who's number two on my depth chart. I'm not pining in the corner, sucking my thumb in the fetal position. What? Please come. We need you, Deshaun. We can't live without you, Deshaun. Screw it. You know what happens when your best player gets injured? Do I know what you do in baseball? Do I know how it works? Do I know how it works in baseball when your top pitcher, like for the Yankees, Luis Severino, before they got Garrett Cole? Oh, no, he needs Tommy John. We don't feel sorry for ourselves. There's a great expression that is used by Team Coke. I don't know which team. Do you? Next man up. Next man up. That's how it works. Next man up. La prochaine homme. Qui est le gérant de Marseille? Who is the owner of Marseille? Speaking of next man up, Marseille was sold maybe... 10 years ago. And I just read an article about the Marseille football club. That is a club in France. Marseille is a city in France. Marseille is a great city in France, a great soccer city. This, the team in Marseille is owned by a guy named Frank McCourt. You may never have heard of Frank McCourt, but if you're in baseball and you've been in baseball, Frank McCourt is the guy who owned the Los Angeles Dodgers. Frank McCourt is the guy who bought the Los Angeles dollars. Timeout, Coca. It's Friday. I'm tired. My voice hurts. I'm using my diaphragm as much as possible. You can hear sort of how deep my voice is right now. 70, 68, 69. Frank McCourt used to own the Los Angeles Dodgers. He bought them from News Corporation. When News Corporation said, we don't want the Dodgers, they're losing money, and we focus on TV and entertainment and movies. We don't know how to run a team. Frank McCord came in as a Bostonian, 
bought the Dodgers and it put the duck in cluster duck. Back then, he was married to someone named Jamie McCourt, who was the U.S. ambassador to France under the old president. And they had a marriage where she ran the team with him. I got to know both of them very, very well. And uh, it was quite something. It was interesting working with them because they used the Dodgers in a way that we were accused of using the Marlins and never did. Our owner, Jeffrey Loria, never took one distribution in 18 years, not a dollar, not one, not a dollar. The McCords took a lot of money out of the Dodgers to finance their lifestyle. Everything was good until they got divorced. The divorce was ugly. If you're going to get divorced, can you do me a favor? Don't fight with your spouse when you're getting divorced. Don't put your kids in the middle when you're getting divorced. Give until it hurts, until you have night sweats. The McCords did not do that. They fought like the Hatfields and the McCoys. They went to court. And it was long and ugly. At the end of the day, Frank McCourt brought the Dodgers into bankruptcy. MLB then led the sale to the Guggenheim partners who own the team right now. Frank McCourt got a couple bill for the team, but that's not what he's worth. He had to give some to his wife, Jamie, had to pay taxes on the capital gain. Although, given Frank McCourt, maybe he didn't pay taxes, but I'm not slandering you, Frank, you may have paid taxes. I have no information whether you paid taxes. I'm telling people the truth. There's no way that the team that was bought for two plus billion dollars wired two plus billion dollars into your account and you walked away with it. So you went on your very way. You got remarried. Congrats. And you said, I want back in sports. You bought the team in Marseille and it has not gone well. The team in Marseille is losing money hand over fist. The fans are pissed. They protest, they stormed the castle in Marseille. The team was training and they actually violently stormed and I'm not for that. Frank McCord said it was like the January 6th Capitol riot. If you do not like your owner and you are as emotional and passionate as people are for football over in Europe, do what they did to Tom Hicks in Liverpool because I was there and I watched it and it was unbelievable. Tom Hicks, the erstwhile owner of the Texas Rangers, also owned Liverpool before he sold it to John Henry, owned the Texas Rangers before he sold them too. He ended up losing a lot of money everywhere and also went bankrupt. God, there's a lot of people who do not, who just have such egos. They keep buying, 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 buying. Ego, ego, ego. I own that. I own that. My thing is bigger than your thing. I've, get, I've got more attendance than you do. I've got higher broadcast rights than you do. I've got a far bigger belt than you do. Wink, wink. Pockets are big and full. Well, Tom Hicks was not liked by the Liverpool fans. And when I went to Anfield, they were doing a parade right in front of Anfield. And they were screaming chants about Tom Hicks. Sell, 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 Mortimer, sell. Eventually, Tom Hicks did, but not because of you, the fans in Liverpool. Frank McCord is not going to sell Marseille because of you. He's going to sell Marseille when he runs out of money and it's coming soon. He said he bought the team because his father likes soccer. And his father was part of the armed forces who fought in Marseille. I'm in. You know how I feel about the military and veterans. I'm in. What I'm not in is that you're never there. I'm not in that you own a team that it, it's very hard to understand when you own a professional football club in France that's second only to Paris Saint-Germain in popularity and in value. 
you have a desire to get up to the Champions League and you're just not good enough. The team isn't good enough, hasn't been good enough. People are crying for you to sell the way they wanted the Wilpons to sell. And all they did in New York was buy airplanes with little ads behind them. Sell, sell. Wilpons didn't sell because of that. They sold because they were good and ready. What will make Frank McCourt good and ready? Running out of money. What will make Frank McCourt run out of money? Don't go to games. Don't buy stuff. Protest. Will that make him run out of money? Nah, that'll help, but it won't do it. You have to hope that he's the emperor with no clothes. You have to hope that he spread his investments around so much that he can't afford to make Marseille good, which will relegate them, relegate them, and relegate them, and they will not get the revenue that is associated with being promoted. I think it's going to happen. You know what, Coca? We've got a Friday change here. I've got to wait to see later on the show, but we're adding a wait to see right now, an official wait to see. This is official, folks. Frank McCourt will sell the Marseille Football Club in the next 12 to 24 months. I'm giving myself one to two years on this one because he's a stubborn guy. He doesn't want to sell. Feels like it's a good ego thing to own, but it's going to require a level of money and investment that he's not going to want to make. Does that make me a wussy coca and a wait to see saying in the next one to two years? All right, fine, fine. Frank McCourt will sell Marseille within a year or start the process. May not be able to finish it. One year. It's hard to sell such an asset that you have such a great feeling about that makes you feel so good. I really do understand that feeling. Not that I ever have, but uh, I do understand that feeling. <sighs> it's hard for Americans to go to Europe and own a team. John Henry's done a good job actually with Liverpool, hasn't he? He, uh, they've won a lot. They've invested a lot. They go to games a lot. They try not to meddle too much because they've got so many other interests. Uh, they save their meddling for the Red Sox, which they claim they don't meddle in, but of course they do. So it is possible to have an American owner that works. Frank McCourt just is not that guy. He's just not. So you'll see. All right. When we come back, we're going to review an old movie from the 1970s that one of you, a listener told me to watch with Al Pacino. I watched it immediately. I can't believe I've never seen it. And we're going to get to talk about my all-time favorite player. My all-time. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's happening daily. 
We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. You have found us. You've made it through the gauntlet. You've downloaded. You've subscribed. You've given us 45 minutes of your time. We only have 19 minutes left in the week. These weeks go by so fast. One of the things that we do is watch a movie every single day. I'm getting so many suggestions on Twitter at David P. Sampson that I can't keep up. I do write them down. I told you, I showed you my phone. I showed you that I keep a list. If you're not watching on YouTube, then you have no idea what I just did, but I held my phone up. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe. I don't understand why we don't have more subscribers. Maybe we don't do enough video. Maybe the video is not good enough. Maybe you love the fact. Maybe you love the fact that you can listen while you're driving or while you're working out. And I think you do. So I write down all the suggestions and I had heard of a movie called Dog Day Afternoon. I knew Al Pacino was in it. I knew nothing about it. I thought it was sort of a mob movie. I really didn't know anything about it. So I said, I'm going to watch it. So I sat down and watched Dog Day Afternoon with Al Pacino. It actually stars the other guy who uh, was with him in The Godfather. A young Charles Durning is in this movie. It is about two men who rob a bank. Coca, there's no way you're going to be able to look at this during the show, but if you can, it would be pretty cool. In the beginning of Dog Day Afternoon, there's three robbers who walk in a bank in Brooklyn to rob the bank. One of the robbers immediately says, I'm not going to rob this bank. I'm not. I'm leaving. He looked exactly like one of the young kids from Jaws 2. Now, Dog Day Afternoon was early 70s, I think. Jaws 2, my guess is, was early 80s. So I doubt it was the guy, but he looked exactly like sort of the frizzy-haired guy in the sailboat in Jaws 2. So the movie is hugely famous for Al Pacino's portrayal of a real-life character named Sonny. This is a true story of a robbery that turns into an all-day affair with hostages. It has one of the most famous movie lines of all time. Attica! 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 If you don't know what that means, watch the movie. It's quite interesting. What happens at the end of this true story? I don't know why it's called Dog Day Afternoon, actually. That makes, oh my God, Coca, you got it? Is it possible that Gary Springer was in Dog Day Afternoon and also in Jaws 2? Do you know how insane my brain is? And this is not me trying to be cool. It's me saying, why in the world would I recognize the Jaws 2 guy as the early robber in Dog Day Afternoon? It just, it's not good. It's not good. I don't want anyone to have to be inside my brain, whether it's the middle of the night or the middle of the day. 
what goes on all the time, what little synapses fire. On the other hand, what synapses never fire again because of various things that I like to do around 420 every day. I'm just saying that I recognized him. So I don't know why it's called Dog Day Afternoon because the movie takes place over a full day. I don't recall there being dogs in the movie as far as I can remember. And I do recall that it got a ton of attention directed by Sidney Lumet. Is it Lumet or Lumet? I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, L-U-M-E-T. If you haven't seen it, it is known as one of the best Al Pacino performances in his career. It's known his portrayal of Sonny, the real life bank robber, is known as one of the great performances of all time, of all time. And Al Pacino leaned into this role. He looks tired, he looks frail. He looks nervous, he looks anxious, he looks sick, he looks crazy. And there's a twist in Dog Day Afternoon that I didn't expect because all of a sudden in his movie debut, out comes 68, 69, 69. All of a sudden in his movie debut, out comes Prince Humperdick. Humperdink. Humperdink. Susan Sarandon's brother makes an appearance in this movie, and it's his first ever movie. How cool is that? Dog Day Afternoon. I'm looking around my studio right now, the place where we film. It's really a desk and a, and a platform and a camera and a soundboard and some lights, some cameras. A little bit of action happens. I've got some memorabilia around. You'd think that being in baseball for 18 years that my number one piece of memorabilia would be baseball related. You'd think my number one sports moment would be winning the World Series. No. My number one sports moment is in 1994 when the Knicks beat Indiana 94-90 to make it to the finals just to lose to the Rockets in seven games, but I ignore that. And I think about how it felt when the Knicks won 94-90 in game seven. My number one piece, piece of memorabilia is when I first started a business, I had a little bit of extra money. And instead of saving it for retirement, I bought a pair of signed game-worn Patrick Ewing shoes because I knew that was something I wanted to live with for the rest of my life. And here we are over 25 years later, and I'm looking at Patrick Ewing's game-worn shoes out of the corner of my right eye, right next to Radar's teddy bear. I also spent my next paycheck or my next profit on a game-worn Patrick Ewing jersey, which is framed and prominently displayed where I look every single day. Patrick Ewing is my favorite athlete of all time. Patrick Ewing deserves to be a head coach in the NBA. He is now a head coach at Georgetown. Yesterday, Georgetown had a huge victory over top-seeded Villanova in the Big East tournament. If Patrick Ewing can take his Hoyas, where he was one of the great basketball players of all time, of all time, don't at me, of all time. Patrick Ewing was signed by the Knicks when the lottery was fixed. The first lottery that ever, take, that ever took place in the NBA was absolutely fixed. The Knicks got the number one pick and took what was the unanimous number one selection was Patrick Ewing. So after the game, Patrick Ewing is meeting the media and I'll watch every Patrick Ewing game that I can. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to him all the time. And uh, he was annoyed. He was annoyed because the security at Madison Square Garden was stopping him. 
And he felt as though that they were giving him a hard time and that he didn't deserve that because he's so famous for having played at the Garden for so many years from 1985 to 19, I don't know, 99. For being who to me is the most famous Nick and people are going to say it's Willis Reed or Walt Frazier or Bill Bradley or Earl Monroe because they got a championship or Phil Jackson. To me, the best Nick of all time from start to finish was Patrick Ewing. Do I have recency bias? No, because it's been 25 years. So Patrick Ewing took the microphone and said, I'm going to have to remind Jim Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, that I got my jersey in the rafter. I want to explain to you what happens when alumni of teams come back to ballparks and why it can be very uncomfortable. Why when famous players return, it can be very nerve wracking for me as a team president. We had alumni come to Marlins Park all the time. Not just alumni of the team, like a Gary Sheffield, but alumni of baseball because many baseball players end up living in Florida and they want to come to a game and we want to host them and we want them to sign autographs and we want them to just be a part of the overall fan experience. But we say to them, here's your pass. I know that you will be recognized, but you've got to wear your credentials. And the reason why we want you to wear your credentials is when we hire security guards and we train them, there is something very specific we say to them that I promise you is said at Madison Square Garden as well. And I know it is because Spike Lee was not even allowed to be in a place where he wasn't supposed to be, even though he was Spike Lee and it really pissed him off. We train you to say, do you have your ID? I need to see your credential. My name's Patrick Ewing. It doesn't matter. What's your credential? It sounds harsh, right? Let me explain to you why we tell our security people to require and ask for a credential no matter who the person is. I wore a credential every single day I was in Marlins Park. Every day. Did I think I was recognized by the majority of the people who worked with me? Yes. Did it matter? No. You heard me yesterday say that there are game day employees who are ushers and they work in concession stands. There are also game day employees who are part of stadium security and ballpark security. The more fans you have, the more people you need in security, the more people the security company draws from their pool of trained talent, but they may not be sports fans. It may be their first day. And you have to understand, even when you are Patrick Ewing, that when someone doesn't recognize you because you're not wearing the right credential, you say, I'm sorry, my name is Patrick, here's my ID, here's my credential. And if the credential is not the right one for the Big East tournament or the right one for a particular game at Marlins Park or Fenway Park or Wrigley Field or Madison Square Garden, it does not matter. That person needs to be stopped. The stakes are too high. I found myself apologizing to alums all the time, telling them to wear their credentials. Many of them would not wear them. And I would say you are running the risk of being stopped by security. And if you are, I'm going to back up my security people, not you. I was honest from the beginning with them because I wanted to make sure they understood. I think it would be important for the Georgetown security people, for the Georgetown athletic director, 
to let people know and let Patrick know that even though you're now the head coach of the Hoyas, even though you are going back to Madison Square Garden for where you're famous, be prepared for someone to not know who you are, not because it was 20 years ago, but because we train them not to care who you are. There's celebrities every day at the Garden. There's celebrities every day at Marlins Park. It does not matter. It is a matter of safety for the rest of the fans. It's a matter of safety for the rest of the players, for the rest of the employees. I am sorry that Patrick got offended but I want to explain to him why he shouldn't and explain to you as fans of Patrick why you shouldn't either. This is not another reason to hate James Dolan. This is not. Nothing personal pick of the day. I think you just have to admit how hot we are, don't you? I'd like you to. We had the Nets two and a half over the Celtics. Celtics are hot. Good team in the Eastern Conference. Nets are without Durant. They were only giving two and a half. It makes no sense. They should have been giving six or seven. They won by 12. Kyrie Irving was unstoppable, actually. They just couldn't find a way to defend him. We are 33 and 20. Holy shnikes, Coca. We are 13 games over. Do you remember about 40 days ago when we were about five games under? I think we were three and eight. It was horrific. We couldn't win an NBA game to save our life. Well, I'm not going to get cocky because tonight we've got a five-star pick. I really love this pick. Lakers are four and a half over the Pacers. I believe that Victor Oladapo is going to score 60 for the Pacers, but I don't think it's going to matter. And you know I'm kidding, Coca. Don't get out of my ear, Coca. Stop it. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I know he was traded. It was a joke. All right, you can correct me because I said his name wrong. Is that what you were going to say the whole time? Oladipo? Fine, fine, fine. Lakers, four and a half over the Pacers. Enjoy the game tonight. LeBron came out yesterday saying he's ready. He's motivated. He's excited for the second half. Do you know what LeBron really wants when you think about it? He really, really wants to win back-to-back titles in Los Angeles. He wants to get rid of this sort of bubble concept. He wants to be the king of COVID. He wants to be remembered as the team who held it together, was able to repeat, get closer to MJ. How many titles does LeBron have, uh, Coca? Is it now two with the Heat, one with the Cavs, and one with the Lakers, which means next one would be his fifth? I think that sounds accurate to me. I don't know why that's in my head. And Jordan has six. This would get him closer to Jordan. He wants it. He wants to pass Jordan. He can't catch Bill Russell, but he can catch Jordan. Lakers start their second half with a four and a half point spread over the Pacers. You better book it because it's LeBron time. All right. I want to finish with a story that I've been trying to talk about all week. All week I've been trying to talk about this. Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks. Remember Russell Wilson, the quarterback, the Super Bowl winning quarterback who doesn't want to be traded, but his agent Mark Rogers said, if he is traded, here's the teams. Okay. Something happened this week with the Seahawks that requires attention and it just kept getting pushed out of the show during the meetings that Coke and I had before and after the show because we felt as though there were immediate things that had to be covered. But this is something that can wait and it's not going to wait anymore. This past week, 
the Seattle Seahawks sent out a letter to their season ticket holders. And in that letter, Russell Wilson was not mentioned. The question was asked, is that purposeful or not? I wanted to discuss how these decisions are made and whether or not it is meaningful that Russell Wilson was not in the letter. A season ticket holder letter comes from the team president, comes from the GM, the owner. Sometimes it comes from your best player, but generally not. Sometimes it comes from your head of sales, but generally it comes from someone like the president. I used to send a lot of letters to season ticket holders and every word in that letter was purposeful. It would be a call to action for season ticket holders. It would be an update as to where we are. It would mention the things that were exciting me about the coming season, if this were an off-season letter. And every time I mentioned a player in that letter, it was because I knew that that player was going to be part of the team. Do you remember the story I told you about the calendar? The calendar with the players on each month. And we made sure that we put the players who we knew were going to be traded early in the year. And we put the players who we knew were going to be on the team later in the calendar year postseason because we knew they'd still be with the team. I want you to take that same train of thought and make it to a season ticket holder letter. Because one paragraph of that letter always would say, I'm looking forward to sharing the 2021 season with you and watching as Brian Anderson grows into the all-star that we know he will become watching the growth of Jazz Chisholm and Eisen Diaz, watching our young rotation, watching our young rotation grow into one of the best in the National League East. Do you notice what I did there? I'm mentioning names of infielders and position players, but I'm not mentioning any name in the rotation because I'm not exactly sure who's going to be hurt. I'm not sure who we're going to let go. I'm not sure who we're going to use to trade to get somebody else because we have such a great gluttony. They, not we, they, 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 they have such a great starting rotation in Miami. So very subtle, name a few players that name a group on the team. The Seahawks did not mention Russell Wilson and you want to know why? That is a purposeful decision, not because they're going to trade Russell Wilson. No, no. It's because they do not want to draw attention to the fact that Russell Wilson has had such negative publicity surrounding him that his, his relationship with Pete Carroll is so strained and that it has become a source of great contention. The problem is when you don't mention your best player, your franchise player in a letter to season ticket holders, it draws more attention to the fact you didn't mention it. It's far worse to not mention Russell Wilson in a letter than it is to mention Russell Wilson in a letter and then trade him to one of the four teams. I'm not sure why the Seattle Seahawks, when they were writing, editing, and approving this letter, did not realize the fact that not putting Russell Wilson's name in while putting other players would lead to people like me noticing it mentioning it and making it worse. Now, does this mean that Russell Wilson will be traded and not be on the team? Hell no. 
Double wait to see today. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen and we will revisit these. I promise you that. Russell Wilson is a Seahawk, will be a Seahawk. He will not be traded before the 2021 season. You can book it. You wait to see. As for that season ticket holder letter, let's just move on. They're trying to sell more tickets. I get it. I'm calling up Russell if I'm the president of the team. I know Russell read that article because believe me, they read it. Hey, Russell, we're not trading you. You're not in the letter, but we really, really love you. It's just business. Come on, Russ. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.